Cheerscast, not am part of Water and Fire Worknet. How is the funeral, Coach? Well, actually, Diane, it's kind of gloomy. <laughs> well, you know, Coach, after all, it's hardly an occasion for rejoicing. Oh, no, no, everything was perfectly nice. It was really a nice ceremony, but uh, they didn't say much about the real T-bone, you know? Well, he's been living down there in Phoenix, what, a couple of years now? And those people really didn't know him. They should have had the funeral in Boston. This is where all his old pals are. You're absolutely right, Carla. You know, they didn't even know why they called him T-Bone down there. Why did they call him T-Bone, Coach? I don't know, Dan. I was hoping to find out. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Everybody knows your name You wanna go where people know People are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and here to help me cover the Season 2 episode, Coach Barry's a Grudge, is the husband-wife duo behind the Married with Comics podcast, John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames. Hi, Maggie. Hi. Hi, John. Hi. Welcome back, both of you. Um, yeah, you've been on the show before. You were on it last season. We've heard your Cheers origin story, so let's just dive into this episode. Season 2, number 19, Coach Barry's a Grudge. This episode is written by David Lloyd. It is directed by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, February 16th, 1984. Coach returns from Phoenix, where he attended the funeral of his best friend, T-Bone Scarpuccioni. But he expresses disappointment that the people who mourned him in Phoenix didn't know the real T-Bone, not the way Coach and his baseball buddies did. Diane gets the idea that Cheers should host a memorial service for T-Bone that his real friends could attend and share fond memories. As the bar makes preparations for the service, Sam reveals to Diane a secret that he's kept from Coach for years, that a long time ago, when Coach was on the road, T-Bone made a pass at his wife. Coach overhears this revelation, though, and flies into a rage, wanting to call off the memorial service. At this point, friends are already arriving, and Sam and Diane try to force Coach into accepting his friend's mistake. Coach starts the memorial with the intention of blasting the man he loved like a brother, but is halted by his love and his grief, and delivers a genuine eulogy. Only then is it revealed that T-Bone went after all of his friends' wives. In fact, none of the people who came to mourn him actually like him that much, and they begin to storm out of the bar in anger when Diane bursts into amazing grace. Slowly, the men come back in and join her in song. And that was Coach Barry's A Grudge. Uh, A familiar refrain on this podcast is that 
Coach is amazing. Everybody loves Coach. Every guest who comes on the show talks about how much they love Coach. And if, hypothetically, you two were to say any different, I would probably end this call. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. No no problem with that happening for that reason. Um, Okay, that's enough. Um, In terms of Coach-centric episodes, this is my favorite. I'm putting it right out. I... I love this episode. I think it's one of those that's a little bit uneven, but the last five minutes of this are so powerfully, dramatically, and understatedly comedically that I just adore this episode. So that's that's me putting my feelings out right up front. But what do you guys think? Maggie, what was your feeling on this episode? Oh boy, I feel bad now. Because I've watched this episode twice. The first time we watched it was a couple days ago. I was in a bad mood, and I was just kind of glaring at the television the whole time. She had just found out that uh, Frasier was no longer on Netflix. I did. And And I was heartbroken. And we're watching it, and I'm chuckling along, and I'm looking, and I look over at her, and she's just glaring. I'm just steely cold, like nothing. And then we watched it again uh, right before we recorded this episode tonight, and I honestly don't have a very strong opinion of it one way or another. What like I don't think it's particularly good, but I definitely don't think it's particularly bad. It's one of the it's a middle of the road episode for me. I, there are a couple of moments that I appreciated, and a couple of um, like a running theme that I noticed throughout the episode that I didn't like so much, and that kind of just evens it out to a rather middling kind of an opinion. Okay. Come back to that. John, what did you think? Big picture. I hated it. No, No, not not at all. I was making sure we had all of them here. No, I I agree with Ryan. This is one of my uh, favorite coach episodes. It's probably one of my favorite episodes of this era, if not the entire series. Just because I remember watching this one as a kid. Because I remember this was the episode. my, My mom and I would watch this together. And I would ask her questions, and as, and I, as long as they weren't too um, sexually implicit when I was explicit, she would tell me the answer. So this was the episode where I learned both what an immigrant was and what to hang someone in effigy is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good, good. Um, all right, well, so, so getting into the details of it, so we start off with this teaser um, that Diane has gotten Sam a gift. It is an Icelandic sweater, and she gets him this as an apology for laughing at him while they were in bed together. Uh, And apparently the reason she started laughing, she explains, is that she says he looked like a flounder. (laughs) They got that past the censors, I think. (laughs) Yeah, they they did. But, like, it was one of those things where I always, like, I I just, I have a hard time visualizing that or making the comparison or something like that. (laughs) Like, what exactly the visual image that she's supposed to be seeing from him and maybe that's ignorance on my part, and maybe like somebody else would, would definitely see that comparison. But I got I was like, I still, as an adult, I like I don't get it if that's supposed to be like some common sexual like reference or something like that. But to me, that that whole situation kind of felt flat. Am I alone on that part? Well, I hate you now because you made me think too hard about it. But the thing that I came <laughs> up with is probably maybe he was gasping for air a bit, like a fish out of water, sort of. Yeah, because the thing is, is that of all the fish to pick, flounders are flat and have both eyes on the same side of their head. So I can't imagine anything would make Sam look like that. Uh, so I thought it was kind of an odd analogy, I guess. But I really liked it when she giggles at him after he puts the sweater on and she makes everybody <laughs> promise not to laugh at him. 
And I've never seen a flounder in a sweater before. <laughs> it's so cute. It, it, I like I like how it lands at the end. But I yeah, it, at first I was like meh. I like that whole bit. I liked uh, Cliff and Norm had their little things to do. He goes, ah, it wasn't anything in my heart. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah. She's like, Sam is about to model his new sweater. And Norm is like, hey, Cliff, I got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, the thing that I like more than the whole teaser and the setup with him coming out with the sweater is when they pay it off later on when he takes Coach back into the office. And he's like, yeah. here, I'll cheer you up. And he runs back and he puts it on. And he's like, hey, don't I look like a dink? And he's like, the sweater on. And he's like ordinarily, Sam, that would have me on the floor, but not right now. Like, I like that they came back that actually retroactively made me like the teaser a little bit more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then there, I mean, sort of before we get into the whole T-Bone thing, there's the one other element, which is the Norm subplot, um, which is at first he says, you know, Vera is out of town and he's kind of like missing her, which just in that sort of overall continuity feels a little weird because it's just in one or two episodes before this that Vera came back and the relationship kind of got back together. It feels like there maybe should have been more time spread out between her coming back and they're like they're reconciling their marriage and now she's leaving and he's kind of like missing her but the whole gag is that you know like they're like where is she off to she's visiting her parents he's like where is she uh one of those rectangular states (laughs) he doesn't even know enough where her parents live what did you think of the that little subplot I liked. I thought it was worth it for the gag where she calls the bar. Um, George Went does really well in that with the, the look on his face of the novelty of yeah, I'll take that call. Because <laughs> <laughs> it got kind of like, what's the worst? Thing? Yeah, she's been out of town. What's the worst that can happen? She's not gonna like you know come over. But and then when he reveals, wait, you never left. You've been in the you've been in the house the whole time. He's like, I'll be honest. I did think I heard somebody in the John this morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Norm. Yeah. So Maggie, like, I mean, I, I'm just curious now because you you mentioned it earlier. Like, what was the sort of running thing that you didn't like about this one, or that that kind of bothered you? Sure, yeah, and actually, uh, Norm's bit with Vera is kind of a nice segue because I, I thought it was kind of funny because it's a very typical Norm kind of a joke. But there seems to be a running theme throughout the episode with making fun of people's wives, mm-hmm. and it, it's a very '80s kind of jokey thing. But there's three different times that there's someone making a crack about someone's wife being ugly. And uh, let's see here. I wrote them down because Sam says most of their wives are real uggos. Uh, When he's pretending to be T-Bone, he actually says, your wife was a wonderful woman. She was beautiful. So not saying that she was ugly, but still commenting on her appearance and what worth that gave her because of her beauty. Um, And then at the end, after Coach's eulogy, and he and the other guy are like, well, what could be worse than going after our wives? And the guy says, I've seen your wives. <laughs> Did like the delivery of that line very well. Yeah, you're not right. going to like my home runs for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I personally, as a wife, don't find those jokes to be all that funny. But it did, and I, I promise, Ryan, I will make this a brief tangent. But it did make me think about the Frasier episode, which is called Burying a Grudge, which is done by the same, same pe- the same writer who wrote this episode. And what it centers around is Martin, the father, one of his old police partners, He uh, they kind of played pranks on each other. But then it got out of hand, and they hadn't spoken to each other since. And it turns out it was because Martin made a crack about this guy's wife. It was... I watched it today. It was uh, because of the size of, of... Of her butt. Of her butt, yeah. But also he was um, he, he was doing that um, to get him back for telling everybody that he had cried during the movie Brian's song. Uh, during Brian's song, was, right, yeah. But nevertheless, 
that was that was the end of their friendship, and then the rest of the episode is about that forgiveness and the two of them becoming friends again. So it, it, I just it's kind of an interesting theme to follow then from this episode to the next bearing a grudge episode, which was in Frasier, but written by the same guy. I wonder if there was something behind that or if that's just, you know, him going back to the well for that kind of same thing, but doing it in a different way. It, it was just an observation, but those jokes just don't work for me very much. And that's, I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm offended that other, other people laugh at them. I just don't like them. So. Well, let me get your husband's opinion on, <laughs> on the subject. <laughs> well, Ryan, I was just going to add, in terms of David Lloyd, uh, one of the really cool things about being on this show and watching these again, you know, four-year show and beyond, we've been watching it together and we're almost finished with it. But I've been paying way more attention to the creative teams of the individual episodes. And I've learned via that that David Lloyd is one of my favorite TV writers. I mean, he wrote, in addition to that, he wrote two of my favorite Frasier episodes. I mean, he wrote Ham Radio. Which is amazing. Which And the other one is, what's what's the one with the restaurant? The Innkeepers. The Innkeepers. Mm-hmm. And that's, those are both farces which he's very, very good at. This this one has farcical aspects in it, too, in that it's a dark com- comedy around the contrived... That whole bit with um, the misunderstanding between Coach and his friend when he thinks he's talking about the guy making a pass at his wife, but he's talking about T-Bone dying. Yes. It's in the papers! <laughs> I thought that was really funny. I'm a sucker for a good farce, apparently. Right. And um, I'm so used to Sam and you know talking that late, and I know that the... Just are going back to the use of the the wives as the the running gag i laughed at it i guess i didn't think as hard of it the um i've seen your wives bit is one of my fun is one of the funnier bits in it especially with the whole delivery of the whole hey, five hundred dollars from me yeah i guess from benson or not benson uh sanford and son sanford and son yeah yeah hmm. uh, um yeah the, the character like i don't think hardly any of those uh extra characters who come in at the end are are given character names only the guy arthur um, right. But like the guy in that question, the black guy is named Charlie in the in the credits. He's played by Don Bexley, who was on Sanford and Son, a bunch of other things. Um, one of the uh, the guy who at the end who says, you know, he never cheated on my wife or everything, who acts kind of indignant, um, is played by Fred Carney, who is the brother of Art Carney. Um, and then the guy with the crazy yeah. eyebrows uh, who responds to him is Jack O'Leary, and he also has a long list of credits. Everything. Um, and and yeah, David Lloyd. I mean, he wrote. Uh, two dozen or more episodes of Cheers, you know, he was, and he was definitely one of the stronger writers. He wrote, um, two, I think the two previous episodes with Andy, Andy, um, uh, both Diane's perfect date and the homicidal ham <laughs> one, which were fantastic episodes. So he's, he's definitely one of the stronger writers on the show. He wrote my favorite episode ever with, um, with, where Norm, um, where Rebecca gets trapped in, uh, oh, Mr. Oh, stuck in the closet. Let sleeping Drake's lie. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That, I like that episode too. Hands down my favorite yeah. one. Um, getting to the the issue of the the wives and everything, and I, I, I will cop that I do really, really laugh at and enjoy Sam's response when you know he he mentioned he tells the situation he's he's pulled Diane into the hallway to tell her, you know, years ago, Coach's wife Angela confided in me that this guy made a pass at her. And Diana's like, that is a terrible, dreadful thing. Like, even you wouldn't stoop to something that low. And he's like, well, you know, thank you for giving me that credit. Although, you know, don't, maybe don't, I don't deserve that much credit because a lot of my friends' wives were real uggos. Uggos. <laughs> and I admit, Maggie, I laugh at that joke. I like it now for a couple of reasons. One is, I don't think it's, yes, I, I understand 
if you are the subject that is being made fun of in that joke, yeah, I, I could understand why that why that would be offensive. But I think that is that is more an instance. At, le- at least I think it's more an instance of making Sam look stupid and, and yeah. crass than it is. I can meant see that to be too. Yeah, that. And I also part of it is just the phrasing, the fact that he refers to them as uggos, <laughs> just as a vocabulary. I just think is kind of like is just that just tickles me. So there's that part, and then getting back to the end when it's like you know, um, you know when the, when the guy's like he died owing me five hundred dollars. How is that better than you know uh, him going after wives? Like I've seen your wives. That's a cheaper joke, but maybe again, a part of it is the inflection. Part of it is the fact that it's an old man, and we tend to give old men more leeway for being crass and uncouth. I don't know what it is, but but I like that so. I liked it as part of the overall um, comedic structure of this episode. It was like it went to very serious things quite often, but then every time it was undercut by a joke mm-hmm. until the end with the song bringing the serious back to back to it and then left it there, which winds up making it much more profound at the end for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there was stuff in the beginning and the, like the front half of the episode that I wanted to talk about because most of it, most of what I like about this episode is so back heavy. It's it's after, you know, we get that that scene between them in the hallway and then they walk away and you find out that Coach was in the bathroom and he overheard them and he comes out and you see the the anger just building up. And Carla brings out that Coach had brought in this, like, six-foot-tall, like, this life-size stand-up, this, like, cardboard stand-up of his friend T-Bone. He's like, where do you want the, us to position this for the for the memorial? And Coach just pulls his arm back and decks this thing and punches it across <laughs> the bar floor, and everything goes sliding. And, like, you give it, like, a one-beat... And Carla runs over and grabs Diane. <laughs> Where do you want to position Diane for the memorial? Just like waiting for the next punch. It's, oh, I love that bit too. That was so good. That cardboard cutout is of uh, Hall of Famer Jimmy Fox. Is that it? I didn't even look that part up. Yes, he's. I recognized him when I saw him. He's a. He's. He's uh, really famous. He's the second player to ever hit over 500 home runs in a career after Babe Ruth. He didn't hit as many as Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth had 714, and he had, like, 500, I want to say. 34. 34. That's what you said before, anyways. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I can't take credit for that. But he was also the youngest player to ever hit 500 home runs. That was a record that lasted up until A-Rod started taking steroids. Oh, that's right, yeah. Uh, That'll help. (laughs) Um. So then, once they get to the, once they get into the moment when they take uh, Sam pulls Coach in the bar and he try, you know, he tells Diane, you know, he, he they have to do this. They do this so often in the show, but he's like, "This is guy stuff, Diane. You're not going to get it. I know this man. <laughs> you know, we've been friends for a long time. I can solve this problem. Don't worry about it." And you just see Diane just patiently, like, "Okay, you have to do this. <laughs> do your macho thing, and I'll just wait. I know it's coming." And she sits there and waits outside, and he tries to go through all these things to get Coach to come out of it. And you just see him crumble and give up, and he just knocks on the door, and she is in the in the door and already mid-sentence going through her technique of how she's going <laughs> to bring him out of this. She is prepared for this, and she was just being patient, and I like that. But one thing that I notice once they start doing their little uh, role-playing type of situation, there's a shot where the camera kind of pulls away and the coach is in the foreground, but he's like looking down, and Sam is standing behind him, and Diana's just a few feet behind him, but the 
camera still feels very distant. We kind of see more of the corners of the office than we really ever see. Hmm. And I don't know if it was an effect because it's a, a full screen you know, show and everything, and I was watching it on a widescreen TV, but the black, you know, borders of, like, the screen and everything really kind of gave it this shadowy confinement along the edges that really made it feel wide open, but also very isolated, and it just kind of gave me, like, this feeling of, of how Coach felt so alone, even when his friends are right there behind him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that was, I, I have to assume that was an intentional shot by Jim Burroughs, um, and, and to me, like I hadn't noticed that before watching it this time, and it really feel seemed kind of like special and poignant that he was doing that that way. I did not notice it the first time, but the moment you started talking about it, I remember the scene you you mean. I can totally see that now, especially with what it's then transitioning into. It's really bringing the transitioning the story into its final phase, mm-hmm. like that, and the helplessness of Diane and and Sam when he when he leaves is very very palpable as well. That scene actually has one of my favorite lines in the episode where uh, Coach is still sitting at the desk and he says, for him it's in the past, for me it's just happening. Right. And I thought that was such a good, a very sensitive and vulnerable moment for Coach. And and Cheers has those moments, for sure. I I particularly liked that one. I really liked that line and his delivery. It It was very sweet and very sad. I almost... I don't... I don't think the episode necessarily needed it, but I kind of felt like... A missed opportunity, I mean, knowing the future of the character and where the show goes. I mean, we did get, you know, an episode with Coach's daughter in the first season, but we don't really hear a whole lot about Coach's wife. The only thing we really know about her is that Coach loved her more than anything. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, like, he just sort of, like, when he does, the few times that he refers to her, it's with such love and devotion and reverence. And I kind of wish there was a little bit more of that in this episode, just an acknowledgement that she kept the secret from him um, because it seems more of more of an issue like the, the fact that Sam brings it up that she confided in Sam because she had to tell somebody because it was bothering her but like it it seems like coach doesn't really have a moment of recognition or reconciliation with that truth that she lied to him about it it's more of just his the betrayal he feels and the hurt he feels towards his friend uh, yeah. did, is that just me or did either of you feel like there, you wanted more from that no, I, I got it. I was more of the fact that Sam had kept this from him the whole time, and that never registered with Coach at any point or anybody acknowledged that fact. I mean, it's understandable for Sam why Sam would, would not want to keep you know tell him that because he wouldn't want to hurt him. But on the other hand, keeping that from him for all of those years, for all of those years, is, is also going to risking hurting him as well. Absolutely. But ultimately, that wasn't what the story was about, so they would probably didn't want to spend too much time on it. Yeah. In terms of like reflecting the personalities and and Maggie, it's one of the reasons why I I keep wanting to sort of get your opinion. Like when it comes to like matters of Sam and his his behaviors and everything, when they kind of talk about who T Bone was and the way Co- the way Sam is describing him as a vain, pretty boy who has to check himself in the mirror every time he passes by, mm-hmm. and you see actually him kind of like do- modeling the same behavior almost unconsciously. Uh, and, like while he's walking by the bar, like you know, Diane just holds up the mirror and Sam yep. goes to check his hair and everything like that. And then even like they, like I think later on there's a moment when like Diane is looking at the picture of him. She's like, this guy like who's like so like egotistical and like like thought of himself like as a pretty boy or something like that. It's kind of mean to Jimmy Fox, really. <laughs> 
Any yeah. Thoughts on that? yeah. I mean, it, it was a good example, I think, of Sam's behavior. There is some hypocrisy, I think, a little bit in regards to Sam's issue with, you know, what T-Bone did making a pass at Coach's wife. But when you look at Sam's own behavior, I, I mean, I guess that's where he draws his line in the sand. Mm-hmm. But I found it a little hypocritical of the character. But at the same time, he's flawed and he's meant to be flawed. And I understand that. And I um, think that I think that was the point of Diane holding up the mirror. She's literally, right. in this case, holding up the mirror to his hypocrisy. He even recognizes it in the middle. He, he, he says he there's a difference there, between thinking it and knowing it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was a, I thought that was a pretty good line. Yeah. I thought that was very funny. And, and I mean, like, even even before there's the the revelation of, of this secret that they've been holding, like you, you can almost kind of see from Sam's in the sort of like animal kingdom metaphor, like what he is like that, that they're two alphas that would go at each other, that they're too similar, that they would kind of like butt heads and not like each other mm-hmm. because of right. that type of behavior that they would see uh-huh. almost as competitors. Um, <laughs> although that never seemed to be a problem with like Sam and his other friends, like Dave and the other guys that he like spent out that time with. But uh, yeah, uh, the um, the the first friend who comes in, uh, Arthur, uh, is played by a guy named Arthur Lessick, and he's the one who, you know, he tells you know Coach that he just found out about this whole situation from the newspaper. Of course, he means the death of T Bone, whereas Coach is at the time thinking that he's thinking about the the affair or the the attempt, the the making a passenger. So that the you know miscommunication creates the comedy there. Um, I looked this guy up because he. I thought he had a familiar face, but on IMDb, he only has three credits, and none of them are big. Like, this was the first one, and then the other two were just, like, no-name things. But I found he was actually a speech therapist and voice coach. Oh, and he worked with a ton of people, like in the in like the um, seventies and eighties. He worked with actors like Michael Douglas, Martin Sheen, Faye Dunaway, a ton of people. He was just like a really prominent wow. Hollywood like voice coach and voice act, not like a voice over actor, but like a, a speech therapist and voice coach in in Hollywood that, or in and Broadway maybe working with all these people. That's cool. That's neat. I thought he was someone else too. I, I think he reminds me of a, of a different actor mm-hmm. who's in a lot of Disney movies, like uh, Herbie the Love Bug. I can't remember the name of him now, but there's. Mm. I'll think of it after we stop recording. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then uh, I, I, I've been putting it off, but then we have to come back to the eulogy of it. Um, and and. No danger of like the the jokes about the wives because those were my runners up for the home runs, but <laughs> my actual home run and it, it breaks me every time is when coach is at the podium and he's like and he's looking at the picture and he's like Tebow Scarpuccione was a son of a and he stops and he looks and he's like the man was a son of a and you just see him like holding his hands together trying to keep it together and his his head lowers. And he comes up and his voice is cracking and he's got tears in his eyes. And he's like, that man was a son of an immigrant. <laughs> and there's this long silence where he looks like, should we be laughing at that? And the bunny's like, and like most immigrants, he was a human being. <laughs> <laughs> God, I, I rewatched this episode a couple of years ago, like two years ago. And it was shortly after my dad had had a heart attack. And he, he survived, everything's fine. But... I remember, like, like getting to this moment, it affected me in a more powerful way than it ever had, and just maybe, I don't know, maybe I love this episode so much because of that personal, emotional resonance, but it's just, like, something about this scene 
it's still, I watched it last night just thinking about it and repeating the words now. It's crushing me. And the the delivery that Nikki Calasanto gives in this moment, like, I want to give him the MVP for the rest of the series for this moment. It's, oh, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. It is uh, sublime. I think what it makes it that this to the end of the mo- the end of the show makes this episode sublime in my mind. It's it's how he's able to drag this scene from this very intense thing that he's carried over from the last scene. Go to the son of a son of an immigrant, and then you can hear the nervous tittering of the laughter starting and then once he hits the and like most immigrants and there's still a bit of a pause and then the audience says okay it's okay we can laugh at this again it's so good but the pain there is so real and i mean i thought the first time i watched it again uh for this one i was choking up because i i was i was dealing with a a a death of, of somebody i knew at the time when i was watching it I didn't have bad feelings about it, but it always keeps those general feelings really close to the surface. And it, it really affected me for that. And he, he did such a good job. And it's, it's always one of the moments that I rem- that I think of when I think of cheers and of coach specifically. Yeah. I, he did a wonderful job delivering that, that eulogy in, in the episode. It was absolutely beautiful and such a good message of forgiveness and love. And that's exactly what that was what diane and sam were hoping they could get you know coach to and he got there he just got there on his own took him a little minute um to kind of get over that anger and which is understandable and i i thought it was a wonderful way for the episode to end yeah. almost it, it almost ended almost there. Ended. and then of course well, i mean you know yeah and then of course the the negative feelings are reinforced because it turns out that his his betrayal was a shared experience a community yeah. experience like with the the rest of the base and and they're all ready to go out to as you say hang let's hang him in effigy i'll screw that let's hang him right here in boston <laughs> And then, yeah, with with the song, with Amazing Grace, kind of bringing them back to their senses and everything, that that little moment at the end. Um, but the eulogy, again, it's, it reminds me of the first season episode, Endless Slumper, which is the one that kind of deals with Sam almost relapsing and getting back to his alcoholism, uh, which is my favorite episode from season one. And I think the... They both have these very heavy, dramatic moments in, in these episodes. And the, the thing that's shared between them, I think, is... They take these long silences, and they really live in these silences for a, for a couple of beats, long, almost long enough that it's uncomfortable, and that just makes them feel more honest and 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 true and like emotionally real. And I just think it, it really helps the the emotional catharsis once you're able to start laughing about it again. That's that's the great part about these. Agreed. And the live audience really helps that effect out uh, with what you're talking about too. I mean, you with uh, it's one of the few things. I mean, I don't like laugh tracks in general, but you wouldn't have the effect without it, and you definitely wouldn't have the track the effect with canned laughter. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's but the genuine nature, the nervousness of the the audience is palpable. It's like if you've ever been to a one act play where the audience where you're really caught in that moment, and the and the characters are real for you, and they're doing something. That's what this was. It's a very rare achievement for a for a sitcom to be able to to pull off, and I tip my hat to it. Yeah, I I, I, did, I mean I pretty much said everything I need to say. Any other thoughts about this episode before we go? No, I think we covered it pretty well. Yeah. One thing from the beginning, I'd like we have a any um, example of Carla's rage being uh, superpower is always fun. Oh yeah, it's a TV work <laughs> or death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> she has a ha- she has a knack for inanimate objects. Yeah. <laughs> um, for Norm's tab, Norm had a good night on this episode. I, I gave him credit for five beers this time, um, which takes him up to 184 for the series. Jeez. <laughs> I I will see. We've got a few more episodes. Can he get to two hundred? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> George went in from Wisconsin. So. There you go. Um, John, who is your employee of the week? Uh, as much as I should and want to give it to to Coach, I'm going to give this to Diane for both how you know her. What we talked about with her standing there so smugly outside, and then her her entrance into the room. I can help you, Coach. <laughs> But but the emoting and the nonverbal communication she's able to show, the desperation on her face with it, she's worried about Coach's soul. And all she can think to do is to sing this hymn. And she's singing it and she's throwing everything into it. And it just looked so real. And that was the core of why that last scene, which could have really fallen flat. But it, it, why it was so wonderful was her. And so I, I give it to her. She's got an amazing singing voice, yeah. That, that as well. Uh, Maggie? Oh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Coach. <laughs> For sure. Honestly, mostly because of the eulogy, because I found that to be such a beautiful moment in the episode. Um, definitely goes to Coach for me. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, for home runs, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the whole eulogy, the, the son of an immigrant part uh, for me, um, I, I've explained why. Uh, Maggie, what was your home run? What was your best highlight moment? Those those two lines, like most immigrants, he was a human being. Be- because it's such a, like a Groucho Marx kind of a joke to make. But at the same time, it, it's kind of thoughtful in a way, too. <laughs> you know, like most immigrants, he was a human being. Um <laughs> And that just you know kind of goes into the whole forgiveness theme of the of the episode too. But then I I really love the let's hang him in effigy to hell with that. Let's hang him right here in Boston. I thought that was really funny. But those two lines are my favorite. John, uh, the Amazing Grace Choir, and within that, there's one little very subtle moment that gets me every time. It's after he comes after they come back in. Coach puts the the cutting of T Bone down next to him, and he puts his arm around him. And at one point, he just reaches up and gives it a hug, like a real deep hug. And it, it was it was probably an ad lib by Nicholas, but it works so well in the whole content. And it's I mean, I was choked up enough as it was, and then that one brought me right over the edge. It's, it's the Catholic, it's the raised Catholic in me. I can't hear Amazing Grace without <laughs> thinking about twelve different funerals I've been at. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I'm sorry that Maggie hated this episode and hates everything about Cheers. I, I wish there was something we could do to change her attitude about that, but it's just a lost cause, I guess. Um, uh, I do my best. Yeah, I, I like I said, I mean, I, I do think this is, it is not the funniest episode. Um, I, I think it is uneven. It takes a little bit for this episode to really get good, but I... Yeah, for me, the last, you know, five minutes are are so emotionally and dramatically uh, worthwhile and special, and and it's just a great showcase for Coach. I think it's his best standout episode, um, and and you know he's he has consistently probably been the strongest. Like uh, no matter where I, when I asked you know people who was your who was your MVP of this episode, if it wasn't Coach, Coach was always the backup. He's just like such a reliable supporting character, and and to have this like sort of showcase as, as something to remember him by that that eulogy scene is just such an amazing capstone for his performance. Yeah. 
Agreed. Absolutely. All right. So, John, Maggie, thank you very much for coming back on the show. Where else can our listeners find you if they want to hear more from you in the podcastosphere or other places? Thanks for having us back. Uh, you can find us when we do put out content occasionally. <laughs> uh, we have a podcast called Married with Comics and another podcast called The Rod Pod. On The Rod Pod, we do IDW Transformers comics in order. On Married with Comics, we mostly talk about movies later. <laughs> we <do. laughs> but we talk about pretty much anything else we want to. Uh, either of these, um, it's marriedwcomics at libsyn or .libsyn.com mm-hmm. or you can find us at Twitter. You can find me at MWC underscore podcast. And I am at Maggie and the Rain. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, on Facebook, we're The Married with Comics Podcast. That's right. I uh, very much enjoyed and highly recommend your Married with Comics special on the, the Star Wars movies, like the whole, the new ones leading up. Well, actually, you know, you did the entire, you did the we entire did all Star them. Wars, <laughs> all of the Star Wars movies leading up to the Rise of Skywalker. Um, I, I found it particularly rewarding that John and I were on the same page with regards to episode three. Uh, I was like, finally, I'm not the only person. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, yeah, again, thank you both for being on the show. Listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in. You can support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook and Twitter, or you can leave a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to all of our patrons, especially Mike Gillis from Radio vs. the Martians and Rick from Jeff and Rick Present Unpacking the Power of the Power Pack, both of whom sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support the network in general or this podcast in particular, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thank you everyone for listening, and until next time, we're closed. All right, I have a beautiful speech written for me here, but uh, I'd just uh, rather say a few things from my own heart about T-Bone Scappagione. Coach, don't Just let me get it over with, will you, Sam? T-Bone Scappagione was a son of a... That man was a son of a... T. Bones covered you. He was the son of an immigrant. (laughs) And like most immigrants, he was a human being. (laughs) Human beings make mistakes. We're just not perfect. But I'll tell you what isn't a mistake. To love someone and to forgive them, no matter what his shortcomings. That's not a mistake. I love that man, but I forgive him. And I know that for the rest of my life, every day there's going to be a moment where I'm going to miss him. That's all I got to say.